This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> but it's probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. Say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds. You're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean... Um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. I am laughing right now at how we were ever able to decipher what that guy Diaco was saying. Sitting across from me again this week is Greg Smith. We have three people on to share words of wisdom this week. First guest I will introduce in a moment. Later, we will have Craig Stevenson from AL.com to preview South Alabama. And then after that, Ed Fang from the Power Rank to preview Nebraska's season. Craig, I will ask you first, how are you, my guy? I, I'm doing very well, man. I'm, I'm excited for game week. It's finally back. I think everybody is excited for game week. Um, one guy who I'm sure is excited for game week, he's joining us on the line this week. Three national championships in four years, back-to-back consensus All-American, a Lombardi winner, first-round draft pick to the Rams, and a black shirt. Grant Wistrom is joining us. Grant, how are you? I'm doing all right, man. How are you guys doing today? Good. Ready for football. You going to be in town on on Saturday for the first game? Yep. I'll be rolling in on Friday and cannot wait, man. I've uh, I've had this date marked on my calendar for quite a while now. I'm excited to see what the boys can do this year. Yeah, yeah. So the the first thing that I kind of want to talk to you about, this this past week, black shirts were awarded to the defense and and Coach Frost talked to the media on Monday morning and said that he had sort of a spur-of-the-moment thing. Um, he wanted former black shirts to come back and, and award the new black shirts their, their jerseys. And um, he, he said he just wants the, he wants the tradition to, to mean what it used to mean. Um, and, I, and I talked to Jay Foreman earlier in the week um, about kind of what that experience was like coming back and giving the guys the black shirts and, and kind of what it meant to him. And he said... You know, he didn't come to school to be um, an All-American or an All-Conference player. He came to school to earn a black shirt. He says it's in his office. He says he's going to be buried in it. That shirt represents everything to you guys, doesn't it? It does, Derek. And, um, and you know, Jason and I touched on it when we got to address the team last year. Um, I feel as close uh, to the word black shirt as I do the word Wistrom. I mean, it's as much a part of me is my last name. It's in my DNA. Um, I've got I've got a black shirt tattoo. I mean, uh, the only tattoos on my body have to do with my family and Nebraska black shirts, man. And uh, and it's probably always going to be that way. And it, it just just means so much to me. And, and I know it means that much to every guy that's ever had the opportunity to wear one. Now, Grant, is, is this one of those things, too, where the, that tradition, it, because it means so much, and you know, you're kind of watching it from afar, like with the different staffs um, that have come through here, kind of really since the Solich era, everyone has kind of handled that a little bit differently. Do, do you think that that tradition had been valued kind of the same way um, over the years before we got to Scott? No, I, I think it just became, and not so much with Frank, because I think Frank knew what it meant. 
happened after that, and I, and, and I think there have been coaches there that held it to a standard that Charlie would hold it to uh, back when we were playing there. Uh, but for a long time, I think it was just the color of a practice jersey. And guys tried to preach the significance of it and what it's actually supposed to represent. And the guys that were trying to preach that message didn't understand that message. So it was just lip service they were given. So having a guy with, you know, like Scott that knows what it means to the, to the team, to the guys that wear it. Uh, and, you know, and I'm sure he's had a lot of heart to hearts with, uh, coach Shenander about that. Cause I think coach Shenander gets it. And, uh, I, the first time I sat down and talked with him about it, I, I he understood the importance of it, the significance of it. So, you know, I do think it had lost some of its weight, uh, but I do think Scott's doing all the right things and even, you know, going above and beyond to, to, to bring uh, just the sense of pride back to that that it should have. You mentioned Coach Chenander. That was that was my next question. He's really done his homework on the black shirts. He came in. He knew it was something that was that was meaningful and impactful to, to Nebraska and to former players, and he's really kind of devoted a lot of time to learning the tradition and, and learning about what it what it used to mean and and sort of embracing you guys as former players. I mean, has it been nice to see him come in and, and just be that um, that open to embracing a tradition that wasn't his? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and I don't think that you can have – I don't think you can have Nebraska without a coach or a team that puts value on the black shirt. It's as much as – Nebraska, the scoring explosion was in the 80s. You know what I mean? It's it's part of it. It's interwoven in the fabric, and it will always be there. And I think that you'll have people like Coach Shenander and Scott and the other defensive staff there that that hold it to the standard that it should be held to. And I think that you know later on down the line, when Scott's Scott's done coaching there 40 years from now, that uh, you know you might have somebody come in that might not hold it to the same standard and to them it's just a black practice jersey but right now it's being treated and held in the the right regard and the way that it should be no no great you've been able to come back a couple of times and be around the team and i'm sure you've been in contact with scott um somewhat throughout this process since he's been been the head coach here what types of changes have you seen um and growth within the program over the time that he's been here so far i think one of the biggest things is just accountability uh you know, being accountable and maybe accountability is the wrong word, but who are you playing for? You know, are you playing for yourself or are you playing for your teammates? And I think that they see that their coach has demonstrated every step along the way that he is there for them. He is doing this job for them. This is not about him. This is about them. This is about the University of Nebraska. And I think guys can feel that. They can sense that. I think that the characteristics of any CEO of any organization that who, who trickles down throughout the employees and Scott's the CEO and his attitude and his character trickles down. And, and Scott is a tough guy. Scott is a competitor. Scott doesn't like to lose. And so all these attributes that he has are just man, you know, just matriculating throughout the program uh, in the off season conditioning and the their in season practices Watching, you know, on social media, watching guys smiling, walking into two-a-days. You don't see that. You don't see guys that excited to go do two-a-days in football. Um, and that's because he's created a culture where hard work is fun. 
you know what? Let's go in there. Let's bust our ass. Let's kick. Let's let's get better today, and let's let's pay our dues now so that we can reap the rewards later. And the guys are. It sounds like the guys are buying in. I mean, the fact that guys are excited to go to two a days in the middle. Of, I, yeah, everybody likes the first day of two a days and gets to go out and butt heads and all that. But you're in the middle of two days. You hate everyone. You don't want to be anywhere around anyone. And these guys are excited to go to practice. I, I think that speaks volumes. Yeah, it's so interesting that you mentioned that because we, we've talked to, it feels like every position group, um, and I just did a big story about the defensive backs with this, about how close those guys have become um, and how much chemistry they have. But as you were saying, and it made me kind of think of that, where I wonder if because the groups have gotten closer, um, is that why you see them also have so much joy when they come to practice? Because they know these guys are actually here for me. I think the defensive backs have also talked about, you know, if people are playing for each other and it's not everybody just being selfish and a one man out there for himself um and i find that interesting i'm curious to see how that ends up affecting the play on the field as we get into the season oh it can do nothing to help it and and you know that greg in the the teams that i was on whether it be high school nf or college or in nfl the guys that cared about each other that worked hard on the field together that played hard off the field together those are your most successful teams. You know, our, our Rams team that we won the Super Bowl with, that team, we worked hard and we played hard too, and we were always together. And to have a group of professionals like that with so many different egos from all over, but it was the same mentality. We loved playing for each other. We loved playing with each other. When I was at, you know, at the University of Nebraska, I loved everybody. Uh, on Saturday, on my, you know, Monday through Friday, I might not have liked you if you're on the other side of the ball out of practice. But on Saturday, you bet your ass I'm playing for everybody wearing the red N on their helmet. And that's the way I feel like these guys are approaching this season. They love what they're doing. They love who they're doing it with. And the excitement and the passion and the energy is going to show. Now, one of the other things that's kind of built up as we approach this season, too, is the, the expectations around the program, especially coming off of a 4-8 and eight season. Um, there is just a big expectation that this program is not just going to be better, um, but potentially contend for a Big Ten championship, definitely the Big Ten West. And I think Scott said something a couple of weeks ago um, where he mentioned, you know, that's the way it should be around here. So I pose the question to you, um, A, I know you agree with him on that, but how do you then get yourself prepared as a player to play with the weight of those expectations because these guys haven't really experienced that. Yeah, and the way you deal with those expectations and the weight of that is, hey, let's focus on kicking somebody's ass this Saturday. You know? And then after we beat Southern Alabama, let's focus on the next game and kick their ass too. And and it's just one game at a time. And and as much as Scott's right, that, you know, those expectations should be at Nebraska – at the same time, he's going to temper those expectations of probably behind closed doors. And it's like, guys, that's great. People think we're fantastic. We haven't won a game yet. You know, we have to go out and prove all that now. But it just starts out just, just one game at a time. Just focus on the task at hand, and everything else takes care of itself. One thing that Scott has talked a ton about since he got back is a nameless, faceless opponent. And I think that was something that he picked up at at Oregon. That was a Chip Kelly thing where. It didn't really matter who they were playing. It was they were gonna they were gonna have the same approach week in week out, regardless of whether it was, you know, a highly ranked team or if it was, uh, you know, a, a bottom of the barrel team. Did did To have that same sort of approach? Was that the same way you guys handled practice heading into games when you guys were were dominating people? Uh, 
Yeah, it was lots, you know, it was sometimes we weren't even preparing, I think, for the team that we were playing that week. You know, uh, I think, you know, if we had a big game two weeks out and we had a, a week game that week, there'd be a lot of our upcoming opponent mixed in with who we're playing that week. So it, I really believe in that, you know, especially in the offensive side of the ball, it's about execution. Uh, and so it doesn't really matter to some degree who your opponent is. You're going out to execute. They're trying to stop you. Defense, I think it matters a little bit more, but it still comes down to execution. And regardless of who we play, if we execute as well as we possibly can, we should win. You know, I, some very, very rarely do you get out-athleted. You just get out-executed. And uh, if the guys just show up, and just like he's saying, it's a faceless opponent. If we play our brand of football, which is what he believes, that we will win. Grant, i got to ask you, Nebraska has a new alternate alternate uniform this season. It's the first time they've ever put the black shirt logo on a game jersey. How do you feel about it? Ah, man, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, been trading a few jabs on Twitter with some of the old offensive guys about it, telling us, you know, whatever we've got to do to toughen them up a little bit. Uh, but I think it's great those guys get an opportunity uh, to be a part of the tradition. Uh, I like what Scott says, like, hey, if the defense plays well, you know, maybe we'll wear back-to-back weeks, things like that. Uh, all that stuff factors in. It, I would be really geeked up to be able to wear that uniform. Um, just having a little sticker on the back of my helmet was pretty freaking awesome, but to be able to wear that uniform would be amazing. And uh, I hope that the guys on the on the bad side of the ball appreciate and respect it and just know what an honor it is and give it the respect, which I know they will. I'm just kidding, but give it the respect <laughs> that they deserve. I was just about to ask you, is it going to seem weird seeing the offense wear that? No, man. We uh, There uh there are a number of offensive players that might have been tough enough when I was playing there that maybe could have played defense for us. So, you know, there, there might be a few guys out there that could come to the other side of the ball, but most of them aren't athletic enough. So, <laughs> Oh, man. We're going to get some messages on that one. Thanks, man. I'm here for you. <laughs> <laughs> Trash talking doesn't stop just because your playing days do. Hey, Grant, thank you for uh, for taking some time and joining the podcast with us this week. You bet, guys. Anytime. Hey, man. We'll uh, we'll we'll try and catch up later on in the season, and uh, hope you have some hope you have some fun this weekend. Uh, I will. I appreciate it. you guys. Take care. Joining me on the line, he writes South Alabama Jags words for AL.com. It's Craig Stevenson. Craig, thanks for giving us some time and previewing South Alabama this week. Oh yeah, thanks for having me. Are you uh, are you making the trip to Lincoln for the game, or will you be in Alabama? No, I'll be here. Um, yeah, maybe that says uh, a lot about what people think happened to the game, but uh, <laughs> we can certainly talk about that. Yeah, we can get into that. Um, any, any surprises from from South Alabama? I mean, Cephas Johnson was named the starting quarterback, and I was kind of reading a little bit about it, right. and it didn't seem like that was too much of a surprise. Um, no. it, so it, it was not a surprise to you? No, I, you know, I was looking at this the other day when they put the depth charts out, uh, the preseason depth charts, um, and I think there was one starter that was different on the preseason depth chart and then on the one on game week. So uh, one of the backup cornerbacks who was coming off an injury won the starting job, 
And uh, other than that, everybody else that was expected to be a starter is going to be a starter, apparently. No, Zephus Johnson was not a surprise. I think the if there's a surprise in the quarterback position, it's that it wasn't closer. Um, you know, they brought in Tylen Morton, who's a junior college transfer, in the spring uh, to push Zephus Johnson. Um, but... You know, I didn't see every snap of practice, obviously, because they're not open. But every snap I saw of the first-team offense, Steve Johnson was the quarterback, which really kind of surprised me that there was not more um, difficulty in making that decision. Of course, they you know they competed in the spring, too, and Johnson came out of the spring as the guy. But uh, he is unquestionably the starting quarterback. Uh, so much so that it looked like um, you know Desmond Trotter his redshirt freshman is even as a second team quarterback with Tyron Morton. I think he's technically listed ahead of him on the depth chart, but, um, you know, it's an either or situation, but I would expect if the game doesn't totally out of hand, that Cephas Johnson takes every meaningful snap or something. All right. Well, let's talk about what, what's reasonable to expect from him in the game then, because he, he had 19 pass attempts last season and he had 28 runs. Right. I mean, he's, yes. I, I He's going to be in an environment that he probably hasn't played um, played in before. Well, I mean, what? That's true. He's he's going to have a starting running back from last year that had a thousand um, all-purpose yards, so that right. that will probably help in Trey Mentor. But what 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 are you expecting to see from South Alabama's new quarterback against Nebraska's defense on Saturday? I don't think they're going to go out there and air it out. Um, you know, one because. I just don't know if he's ready for that. And two, they're what they're probably their weapons are, are uh, you know geared in a different direction. Johnson's a good runner. Uh, he's got a very strong arm. But when he was in the game last year, and he made one start and played a, quite a bit in a few other games, uh, didn't seem like he was really confident and or decisive in uh, you know what to do with the ball, whether it's hand it off or keep it on the read option or um, you know, getting it to a receiver quickly. Um, he had some trouble with that, and unless he's improved vastly, I don't think that they're going to just you know, put the game in his hands. I think Menner's going to get the ball a lot. Um, Kawan Baker, who's their uh, slot receiver, but they use as the pitch man on the option and on speed sweeps and that sort of thing, is going to get the ball a lot. Their offensive line is going to be better this year. Uh, last year, going into the season, they had a twelve guy, guy that had started twelve games and a guy that had started one game, and then three other guys who had never played at the Division One level. Uh, this year, they have three returning starters uh, that started every game last year. One that started six games, and then a pretty well-regarded junior college transfer is the other one. So, uh, the line will be better, um, but it would be really surprising if they, you know, put up big-time yards and points against Nebraska. So it sounds like the plan of attack is to try to run at Nebraska's front seven. Do you think there's going to be a lot of success to be had there? That's a good question. You know, Nebraska's really big, as you know. Uh, all those defensive linemen are over 300 pounds. Um, you know, but I think that's the offense out of Alabama runs. Uh, it's kind of a uh, it's a spread offense, but it's a power spread kind of like what Auburn does, uh, maybe Florida and the Urban Meyer here. That's kind of what they want to do. Um, but, um, you know, I just don't know if they're confident they can have the time to just air it out. So I do think they've got to try to run the ball. 
you know, Minner may get the ball on some screens and that sort of thing, which he's pretty, been pretty effective in that. Um, but I think that that's probably what they're going to try to do. They're going to try to control the ball, control the clock, that sort of thing. I have Kenny Edenfield written in all caps on my notepad. Uh-huh. He was a guy who was at Troy uh-huh. in 2017 when the Trojans uh-huh. beat LSU in Death Valley. Right. Um, he was obviously not with the, the Troy team last season that beat Nebraska, but I'm curious, mm-hmm. has there been any talk of what Troy was able to do last year against Nebraska or what Troy did to LSU when Kenny was there? Has there been any discussions or, or have you seen any parallels um, that that either coaching members of the coaching staff or players on the team have, have drawn between um, upsets that the Trojans have made and, and something that they're hoping will happen on Saturday? You know, it's in a general sense, yes. Like you said, Troy went up there and won last year. Um, Northern Illinois, you know, of course, won at Nebraska a few years ago. So they're, you know, they consider them peer programs, I guess you could say. The difference is, at least in Troy's situation, you were talking about a fifth-year coach with a well-established players on both sides of the ball, veteran, a lot of veteran players. South Alabama doesn't really have that. I mean, one, it's a young program. This is only the 11th year period, and it's a second year under a coaching staff. Um, you know, I, I think that obviously they would love for that to happen, but this team is not what Troy was last year. Troy was a, you know, bowl, a, 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 a conference championship contender. South Alabama is trying to get to that. I have written down, like, can his offense keep pace with Nebraska's offense, which has been the talk of almost college football, it seems mm-hmm. like. Uh, and then can can this defense slow Nebraska down? But I'm curious, do you have sort of, like, keys to South Alabama hanging in this and making it? I think the line is at, like, 37 points right now. Like, do you, do you have a couple of things that um, you've kind of keyed in on and saying, like, this is something that they have to do if they want to keep this game competitive? The one time that South Alabama has beaten a Power 5 program, which was Mississippi State in the opener of 2016, and obviously that was a different coaching staff, um, Mississippi State almost had to beat themselves. You know, they got out to an early lead, and then just kind of uh, they couldn't make it. A, you know, Mississippi State kept rotating their quarterbacks. I don't think they put you know Nick Fitzgerald, who ended up being a great quarterback. They he didn't play the whole game, and um, you know they. South Alabama scored with about a minute left, and then Mississippi State drove down the field and missed a 28-yard field goal at the at the buzzer. So, you know, I think that's probably what's going to happen to have to happen here is that Nebraska is going to have to turn the ball over a bunch or you know key penalties that sort of thing. You know, South Alabama's going to have to block a punt or run a punt back for a touchdown or something like that. Um, you know, I just the talent, even though you know Nebraska's coming off a four and eight season. They've got a dynamic quarterback in, in Martinez, and you know it's just going to be difficult for South Alabama to stop them. Um, it would take some major breakdowns on the Nebraska, end, which you know is, you know which we saw a little bit with them last year. But I think a sec, you know second year of Scott Frost, those kind of things are going to be ironed out a little bit more. Yeah, this is the first game. I mean, it's not it's not outside the realm right. of possibility to you know think yeah. that. I don't, I don't know if you watched the Hawaii Arizona game uh, in Week Zero, but right. Arizona or tried, Florida and Miami. That game yeah. was a mess. <laughs> that game was a mess. Right. Yeah, Arizona tried to kick a field goal and, and they had a, a false start, and then a delay a game, and then another false start, and it was a 38 yarder turned into a 53 yarder, and 
Uh, I looked at my fiance and she's like, what is happening? I said, well, this is week one. This is the first time they've played. So it's not outside the realm of possibility that uh, we could see a little bit of sloppy play on the field on Saturday. Yeah. uh, I want to talk about the defense for a second for South Alabama. They were were not very good last year, just looking at the numbers. And they returned four starters from that unit. Um, (laughs) Struggled to maintain explosive plays, struggled to keep teams from moving the ball. Um, efficiently and staying on schedule, like it, you could look at the, the 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 seven lost starters two different ways, right? Like you could look at it and say, well, the starters from that defense are gone. There's now new guys with a chance to to sort of rewrite the narrative, so to speak. Or you could say this defense was bad. They lost seven starters. Could it be worse? Like which which way do you tend to lean with that? Yeah, I don't think there's anybody. Um, that was on that defense last year that they're really going to miss in a huge way. Um, the big, one of the bigger problems, well, two, there were two main issues with the defense last year. One is they didn't have enough speed. Um, and, you know, teams like Troy and Appalachian State, especially, and, you know, of course, Oklahoma State, just got to the edge on them before they could, you know, be in position. And, and, and they gave up, that's why they gave up so many big plays. They just didn't have speed to, to, cut, to cut off those plays. The other part is they had a really bad run of injuries. Uh, Roy Yancey, who was a junior college All-American, they were expected to be a starter at linebacker, broke his leg in the first game. Uh, they lost three players at the same position, the bandit defensive end, outside linebacker position. Uh, they lost three guys in the first three weeks of the season. Roxel McWilliams, Riley Cole, and Chris Anderson lost them all for the season. Um, and so that just that hurt. Um and all those guys are back this year. So I think that's going to be a, you know, they have five seniors on the defensive line, including Tyree Turner, who actually was on the team that played there in 2015 as a true freshman, got hurt that year and got a medical red shirt. So he's a fifth year guy. Um, he's probably the best player on the defense. He was a nose tackle, now he's a defensive end. Um, so I think they're going to be better. I think there's more speed on the field, they're healthier. Um, and does that show up in game one? I don't know, but long term, it's definitely going to be uh, a plus for them. Who is a player that Nebraska fans should be aware of heading into Saturday? Um, yeah, I mentioned Turner, and you you already discussed men or Kawan Baker. Those are the two on the offense. Uh, another, it, I mentioned him briefly. Roy Yancey uh, was a junior college All American at Arizona Western two years ago. Got hurt in the first game last year, missed a year. Uh, he's playing that strong inside linebacker position, and he's, uh, you know, a good, fast, playmaking kind of linebacker uh, that they, you know, the kind they've needed more of in the in the past. Um, most of their guys in the back seven are not very big. Uh, they're trying to put an emphasis on speed there, but I think Yancey is probably, if if healthy, which he is, um, you know, has a chance to be a really good player. Okay, what about a what about a prediction? This is the last thing I got for you before we get you out of here. Yeah. What about a, a score prediction? Yeah, I've been asked this several times, and uh, my prediction is 44-17 Nebraska. South Alabama may not score that many, but they have a habit in these kind of games of you know, getting on the board a couple times late. So I think that's probably what's going to happen. I don't expect Nebraska to be threatened, uh, but I think South Alabama will you know, be able to score a little bit. Is this one of those things where – you know, this thing is over. You, you said you don't think Nebraska will feel threatened. Do, do you think this is one of those things where it's yeah. over by halftime, or do you think this is one of those things that it, it just progressively builds? 
Yeah, South Alabama had a real problem last year. Um, they would be in the game until late in the first half, and the opponent would score right before the half. I mean, it happened in four or five different games. And then in the second half, either South Alabama would get the ball back and go three and out, or the other team would get the kickoff and score again. So we basically had a you know 14-point swing in about four minutes. Um I think that's probably the kind of thing that will happen here is that, you know, South Alabama may be within uh, 10 to 14 at halftime, but it probably won't uh, be a game going into the fourth quarter. Okay. Craig, where can people find your work? Where can people follow you at? Uh, AL.com slash USA is where you can find my coverage of South Alabama. I'm on Twitter at Craig Stevenson. It is C-R-E-G-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-O-N. Perfect. Hey, I, I, I'm sure you got some work to do. I appreciate you giving us some time and and doing some some football talk for us. We are back. I'm so happy to be talking actual football again. So thank you, man. Absolutely. Yeah, no problem. Now I'm very excited to welcome in uh, somebody that Brandon Vogel has been yelling at me to have on the podcast for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. I'm very excited to finally have him. It's Ed Fang. From the power rank, Ed. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I'm I'm glad we could get you around. So on your website it says Stanford PhD in applied math, which you use to make college football and men's basketball predictions. How does a Stanford PhD get to uh, college football predictions? Yeah. So I mean, I, I kind of did my PhD, and I always thought I'd be a professor and teach and do research. But, you know, that career path kind of ended for me, and I was looking for something else to do. And I've always been a huge sports fan. And one day I got thinking about um, Google's PageRank algorithm. I was, I was actually studying that. And I saw how I could apply some of the, my ideas from my research to some of the ideas that they used in PageRank. And it turned out to be a way that I used to rank teams. So this started out with the team ranking. And it essentially takes margin of victory in games and adjust for strength of schedule. And I don't need to tell any of you guys that strength of schedule means a lot in college football, where you have a range of, of teams, you know, from the Big Ten to the MAC, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I started messing around with it, sent an email to some friends with some initial NFL ranking. They got intrigued and encouraged me to do more. So I started doing college football, college basketball. And, uh, yeah, now it's, uh, I guess, 11 years later now. That's amazing. Uh, I will link to your website on our website, so if people want to come read your work, they can. Uh, I will also link to your Twitter account on our website, so if anybody listening wants to uh, find and follow Ed, you can do that on our website. Um, I, I have a question that sort of just popped up. You were talking about strength of schedule, and now I'm curious, where do you fall on the – Do you, or do you have an opinion on the eight versus nine conference games, the SEC doing eight and playing, you know, like Southeast Louisiana Tech, whereas – the Big Ten or the Big 12 is playing, you know, like Nebraska, Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, in principle, the committee should be considering these things, right? Um, you would think. You would think. Um, so, I think, it, you know, everything in not only college football but in life is about context. So, you have to be really nuanced and, and consider who these teams play. Um, you know, so as long as and playoff being fair that way, I don't really have a problem with it. You know, from a fan perspective, I think you obviously want more good games. 
So what the good, what, you know, what the Big Ten is doing is is fantastic. Like having a third cross division game is, I think, really great. Um, you know, the SEC, I think from what I understand, it's the coaches that don't want that ninth game because they want an extra win out of conference, which I understand too, because that's, you know, they're trying to save their jobs and it's, it's not easy coaching in the SEC West. So, uh, you know, I think it, I think it's all about nuance and, and uh, as long as we're thoughtful about it, uh, I, I think it, you know, I, I see them play nine games. Hmm. Well, surprise, surprise to everybody listening. This is actually an SEC West segment, so uh, let's talk about the bottom of the barrel teams in the SEC West. Now, um, I want to talk to you about a couple of your preseason ranking models that you have. Um, Nebraska, for basically all of this offseason, like since the national championship ended, Nebraska has been a trendy pick. People like to say, well, Nebraska's going to make the jump. Nebraska's going to be, um, you know, challenging to be in the top 25. Nebraska's a team that could make, you know, a UCF light, not not like, but UCF light leap um, because of the quarterback. There was a lot of speculation about whether Nebraska was going to be ranked in the preseason, the first preseason poll. They were not in the coaches poll. They were in the AP poll and, and, I guess I shouldn't say surprisingly, but there were a couple people that were like, hey, they don't deserve that because they've won eight games total in the last two years. But there, it's, been a, it's been an offseason of ever-growing hype, and the train is sort of uh, you know, barreling off the tracks at this point with some people predicting <laughs> them to be like national championship contending team. But um, you're, looking at some of your models, it's a little bit more uh, – it's a little bit more – down to earth, I would say, a little bit more subdued, a little bit more realistic. You've got Nebraska, one of your models, uh, it's a linear regression model that considers past performance, turnovers, returning starters. Nebraska is number 52 in that. How do you get that number? Yeah, so it's, you know, you, you kind of put all those numbers into a, a regression model. And, you know, the most important number is how the team performed last year, right? And so, you know, Nebraska had a rough time on the scoreboard last year, uh, especially with the 0-6 start. Um, it was really, I mean, I, I know <laughs> I hate to bring this up with your fans, but, you know, to me it was really interesting because Nebraska had better yards for play in five out of those six games. So every single game except for Michigan. And when you have better yards for play than your opponent, you win about 80% of those games. So there's a lot of bad luck in going 0-6 in that start. And... um but just in general, like that model is saying, like we don't see the the team strength over the last four years to put Nebraska any higher than fifty second. And if you kind of look at it that way, um, I mean, I think you guys can understand. Like you know, Nebraska is first year under Scott Frost last year, uh, things went wrong. Uh, you know, coming over from from uh, the, the previous era, right? Um, but you also, whenever you're doing modeling, you have to understand what your model doesn't consider. And, you know, for example, like that model could never capture Texas A&M and Johnny Manziel's first year. It could never capture Jameis Winston that first year he started for Florida State. And it doesn't really consider, like, players that can have breakout seasons. And one of the reasons I did one of my preview episodes on Nebraska is because I really I, – I think Adrian Martinez is a great quarterback just from watching him play uh, last year. And his completion percentage was good. And then I started reading about – Mario Verduzco and, and some of the the guys that he's mentored. Uh, we're not going to give him credit for Marcus Mariota, but for Mackenzie Milton at, at UCF, for sure. And, and just a kind of, you know, interesting. Uh, 
just have a breakout season. Um, I think, and part of that is because, like, he was very good as a true freshman. So I'm higher on him having a breakout season than someone like Ellinger, who was about two years ago and was, like, you know, decent last year. Sometimes with Justin Herbert, too. Like, he's good, and he might be the top pick in the NFL draft. But he hasn't, you know, he hasn't shown, like, elite performance. Whereas Martinez was very good as a true freshman and potentially could be even better this year. And I think that's, that's kind of the big reason why I think Nebraska uh, could be really good this year. Um, so I do another model uh, on my site. I usually save this for my site. Um, but it's based on market win total. And so essentially I'm taking 130 market wins. I try to back out the rank and the rating for each team that corresponds to that win total. And in that model, uh, Nebraska is 19th. And I think that's very much closer to, you know, the team Nebraska and win the big title. We we could, and we're going to get into numbers in a second. Um, but you know, we could talk about advanced analytics. We could talk about metrics. We could talk about efficiency stuff. A lot of the conversation this off season coming out of Nebraska's walls has been, hey, we had a lot of things culturally that we needed to fix last year. We had a lot of thing. We had a lot of. Uh, I would say bad apples in the program that needed to be sort of rooted out. Now, you know, guys are, are bought in. That's the phrase that gets used so much. Guys are bought in. They, they're bought into the culture. They believe in what coaches are teaching. Um, coaches talk about culture all the time. Do you think it has as much of an impact as, as culture is uh, given a lot of the time? Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think that's a very hard thing to study from a data perspective. And then I think there's always the, the chicken and egg problem, right? So whenever a team wins, we say they have a good culture, like Alabama. Um, but it's hard to get a good culture unless, right? So, um, you know, and, and that's not to say that these things don't matter. But it's, it's just hard to quantify. And, and, you know, I mean, every coach is looking to have a good culture, right? I mean, no, no one's looking to come in and, and be mean to everyone and, and make everyone mad. Uh, I think everyone's trying, you know, some more so than, than others. And, uh, yeah, so so for me, it's just a hard thing to kind of quantify and, and put too much stock into. Okay. You mentioned your your 2019, the preview series. It's a series of podcasts that you've done. Um, you did an episode on Nebraska. Um, and, uh, you know, you talked a little bit about Nebraska was better than its 4-8 and record. Why? Right. Like, what, what do you see that – that that tells you that yeah i mean uh, part of it was that zero and six start where you know five of those games they had better yards per play than the opponents um so that immediately tells me that you know the team is much better and you know when you when you look at my numbers i look at offense and defense uh by taking yards for play and adjusting for strength of schedule you know the offense was good uh there were 19th in the nation uh, a lot of that was the run game last year with Martinez as a quarterback throwing the ball, they were 43rd in the nation in, in adjusted yards per attempt. Um, so yeah, I mean that was the real reason why I think they were better, and, and they certainly showed that towards the second half, uh, winning those four games, and then being close with Ohio State, being close with Iowa. Uh, but I actually have a question for you because you know my 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 issues with Nebraska are on the defensive side of the ball, and in particular, can the defensive line hold up? 
So you got four out of five starters back on that unit. Do you think they can be better than they were last year? Short answer is yeah. I think the biggest guy that I think the biggest thing that leads me to believe that 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 unit is going to show. I think it's going to show drastic improvement, and I think it's because of Darian Daniels. It's the the defensive tackle transfer they got from Oklahoma State. Mm -hmm. I think you know he was injured last season. I think he only played in three or four games, uh, but he he preserved his redshirt. It allowed him to grad transfer. Before that, like I think the thing that gets glossed over with Darian is that he was an actual contributor like he was a captain he was a starter he was a contributor to that Oklahoma State defense and uh, I think he kind of <clears throat> from an X's and O's standpoint plugs a, a massive massive hole that they have had they haven't really had a true nose tackle in a, in a while and for him to be a guy that can sort of handle both uh, you know both those a gaps for him to be a guy that can is athletic enough to, to shift outside to play defensive end. They've talked about a couple packages where they've got him and his brother both on the field at the same time, and he's playing end. I think that's interesting. Um, you know, I, I was talking to one of their inside linebackers, and he said Darian being huge and being really good is ju- it just helps them so much more because they don't have they don't have guards and they don't have a center free releasing to them all the time because you know right. the run yep. defense, like you said, was was really really bad last year. They were like in the bottom the bottom 25 i think in yards per play allowed on the ground last yeah. year which is you i mean you just yeah, can't I, win football games doing that yeah no exactly uh that was definitely a problem and you know i you know from the i uh, the few games i watched like the defensive line was getting blown off the ball uh and it ended up being 110th when i look at yards per carry adjusted for yeah. schedule okay yep and that's uh, yeah i mean and yeah yeah you, you just can't and, you just can't win football games that way and so right the strength yeah, no, component, I think. How that, I'm interested to see how that unit plays this year because uh, if they can be better, um, you know, I think. I, well, I think it's going to be a very competitive Big Ten West, uh, which we can talk about here. Um, but if that unit can get better, because uh, I, I thought the secondary was was decent last year, and so that defense could could really take a leap. It is. It's funny whenever people talk, or I guess. A couple months ago, before it started getting trendy to talk about how uh, much improvement the defensive backs have shown, a lot of people were, were saying, you know, blanket statements like, oh, the defense wasn't very good, they weren't good at defending the run, and they weren't good at stopping the pass. It's like, no, if you look at the numbers, they were actually average yeah. against the pass. It wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't what you would expect from a 4-8 team. So, um, yeah, I mean, my, I, I, my pass defensive numbers, they were 35th. There you that's, go. That's, that's good. Uh, that's yeah. adjusted for strength of schedule. Um but yeah, it was really it was really the defensive line and, and defending the run that was the problem. If if I asked you if you see anything in the statistical profile that you have for them that would give you pause about 2019 success, would it be that defensive line? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, if, if they can figure that out, there's going to be some there's going to be some good things ahead for for Nebraska. What, how do you? How would you rank this Big Ten West? A lot of people say it's wide open. Do you do you feel that way as well? Do you think that Wisconsin's going to take the step back that a lot of people think they will? Like, wh- how do you, what kind of stock do you put in all of the the Big Ten West storylines right now? Yeah, um, so Wisconsin's a huge question mark in my mind, uh, just because of how far their defense fell off last year, and that it was just a very un-Wisconsin like defense. Uh, the front seven wasn't good. Obviously, injuries played a role in that. And, but it was also really confusing because they went from getting a ton of pressure on the quarterback in 17 to getting literally zero pressure on the quarterback last year. 
And they still had three NFL caliber linebackers on that unit. So I just don't know what to make about that going into 2019. Like, I can see that defense getting back to top 20 and Wisconsin being pretty good. But if they don't, I think they have some issues. You know, um, you know Taylor's good, but he lost four out of his five offensive linemen, a couple of NFL guys in there. Kind of a place where you expect Wisconsin to – to, to retool pretty quickly. But then again, they got, they got issues. I think they have question marks of the quarterback position as well. But with all that being said, I think, you know, Wisconsin, when I look at my best college football numbers, they rate out as the best team in the big 10 West. Um, but the schedule really leveled the playing field in the big 10 West. So Wisconsin has a cross division schedule of Michigan, Ohio state and uh, Michigan state. And that's really, really hard. Uh, Nebraska plays Ohio State, um, but, the, but the other games aren't as bad. And then when you finally consider the fact that uh, you guys get Wisconsin at home this year, that really kind of shifts, uh, kind of balances things out. So I actually have four teams that have about a 20% chance to win the Big Ten West. And it's, you know, it's close enough that it's in the air of, you know, my simulations. So um, it's really I, it's anyone's division. Would those four teams be Wisconsin, Nebraska, Iowa, and Minnesota? Yeah, you, Minnesota, right? Yes, Minnesota's the last team, which might be a little surprising because I think Purdue's probably the better team. Um, but Minnesota has the easiest cross-division schedule. Uh, I forget what it is, but I think Rutgers and maybe Indiana or something like that. Um, but again, that's what, they're, they're a little bit lower. I think they were 16 or 18%. But those other three teams were all right at 20% uh, when I ran those numbers. I'm so happy that you brought up the, the crossover games within the division because somebody asked us, we do a mailbag each week, and somebody asked us either last week or the week before, like what is uh, an under-the-radar differentiating factor between like the top teams in the Big Ten West? And I said, keep an eye on crossover schedule. Wisconsin's three crossover games are brutal. So yep. I'm happy that you brought that up. I feel like I sort of know what I'm talking about now. Oh no, absolutely. That's absolutely right. And you can, you know, I look for this every, I look for this every year because it's just, you know, it's not fair. I mean, uh, I did an episode of my preview series on, on the injustice with schedule and, you know, Ohio state's kind of getting the, the short end of the deal too. Um, cause they have to travel to Michigan this year and then, uh, they have a little, a, a little bit more difficult cross division schedule. Uh, I mean, Michigan gets Illinois, and Ohio State gets someone that's not Illinois. So, you know, immediately a little bit harder. Right. Well, Ed, that's everything I got for you. I'm, I'm sure you've got some work to do. I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you for uh, giving us almost 20 minutes talking some Oscar football on the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. As always, we will be back next week with another podcast. This week, it's South Alabama. Kickoff is at 11 a.m. Central Time, noon Eastern. HailVarsity.com will be your place for all of the coverage. Keep it at HailVarsity.com. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Subscribe or follow. I don't know which one you do on Spotify, but do whatever you got to do on Spotify. Um, SoundCloud, follow us. We'll be back next week. Thanks, guys.